words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds upon those words be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are crucified, risen, ascended, and reigning redeemer, and you're coming back. Christ, you are our king, now and forever. We long for your appearing. Bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last three Sundays, uh, there are, if you have <coughs> with us, there are uh, handout sheets there in the entryway table you can grab, because the last three Sundays we've looked at a wonderful, amazing, hardcore evidence for creation, evidence for Noah's flood, worldwide cat catastrophe, and the Tower of Babel, so we saw evidence for all those things. It, it's on the sheets, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to grow in the knowledge of that. Then we saw evidence that the Bible itself is perfectly trustworthy and true with last Sunday's sermon, looking at prophecy, how prophecies in the Bible are jaw-dropping accurate, and it just it shows that the Bible is, there's no book like it in the world. It is the word of God, and, um, and we can trust it. So we're going to finish this little series with a little more prophecy this morning. It shows us that the Bible is still prophetically speaking into our day. Did you hear that? The Word of God is still speaking prophetically into our day today, and it's preparing us for the end of human history, which leads to the eternal life that God has promised to all of those who will repent of sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. So an awful lot of prophecy in the Bible that speaks into our current time has to do with Israel and the nation, and the Israelite people. God's not done with them yet. In fact, an awful lot of the end times prophecies, an awful lot of the, the wrapping up things that God wants to do with human history have to do with Israel and Jerusalem. The nation of Israel, Jerusalem the capital, and the temple were all destroyed by Roman soldiers in A.D. 70, the year of our Lord's 70. So that's roughly 40 years after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the tomb. For nearly 1,900 years, the nation of Israel did not exist. And for roughly 1,300 of those years, the land was under Muslim rule. So that gives you a little better picture of why is there all these dust-ups and stuff going on in Israel today. There's tons of history there, isn't there? To make a long and fascinating story short, Jews began to openly talk about a return, uh, talk about and yearn for their nation to be reborn, and then so persecution of Jews around the world intensified that desire. Uh, they always wanted to come back, but that, that desire to come back, talking about it, praying about it, planning for it, really ramped up in the late 1800s. The Holocaust slaughter of around 6 million Jews under Hitler's orders during World War II Speeded up the conversations around recreating Israel as a nation so they could have a safer place to go and live and be a people of God. Palestine, as it was called uh, during the time that Israel wasn't a nation, Palestine was under British control in the early 1900s. Violence between Jews and Arabs was intensifying in the region, and to be honest, Britain just wanted out. I mean, nobody wants to be involved or in charge over there. Amen? Amen? Constant conflict and terrible situations. So Britain wanted out, and they sort of handed <coughs> off the decision to the United Nations. 
So it's this long, long, again, more fascinating, wonderful story. But on May 14, 1948, Israel declared itself to once again, after disappearing from the world stage for 1,878 years, declared themselves to be, once again, a sovereign nation. The world has never seen or known anything like this, and it never will. The Word of God prophesied it. Go to Isaiah with me. The very last chapter, the amazing prophetic book of Isaiah, chapter 66. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 66, verse 7. In the Bible, it might say rejoice with Jerusalem. It's going to say she is in labor. It's going to talk, it's talking about Israel. Verse 7. God pro prophesying through Isaiah says, before she was in labor, she what? Gave birth. Is that the, is that the proper order? No. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. <coughs> Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Is that the proper order? It's backwards. It, it is backwards. Verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? This is backwards. Who has seen such things? This is upside down. Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? What's the prophet talking about? What's God telling us through Isaiah? On May 13, 1948, Israel was not a nation. On May 14, 1948, Israel was again a nation. It's never happened like that before on planet Earth. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, who cause to bring forth, shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. Is that a day of rejoicing in Israel? Did her enemies immediately attack? They did. If I remember, it says the next day. She'd been a nation, a sovereign nation for one day, and the next day her enemies attacked. Whole world war. And God rose up and did miraculous things and gave the Israelite forces victory. Can you imagine not being a nation yesterday, today we are, and tomorrow we're at war? How effectively would we handle that nowadays with all of our things? Yeah. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> so God prophesied it. Is Isaiah the only one to prophesy this amazing moment in history? No, he's not. There's more. We're going to be here for a while, so go ahead to Ezekiel. So you're in Isaiah, go to the right, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Keep on going a little bit, Ezekiel. Chapter 37. Chapter 37, verse 1. You'll be somewhat familiar with this passage. I, I, I knew and preached this passage a couple times early in being a pastor and didn't realize what it was actually referring to prophetically. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a good sermon, I'm sure. <laughs> but it just wasn't completely fully on board. I was, I was young. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. 
It was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. I want you to, uh, I'm to give you a tip here. This prophecy, what God is showing Ezekiel, is about Israel, the nation, feeling like they were dead, feeling like they were separated, even like they, their bones were separated from each other, laying all over the place. They were all over the planet for 1,900 years. When they, when they were uh, dispersed from uh, Jerusalem in AD 70, they went all over the world. And so God is talking prophetically about Israel being scattered and feeling dead and hopeless. It's a terrible situation. Behold, they are very dry. Verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can Israel live as a nation again? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. I don't know if it can be done, but you know. Verse 4. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Isn't that just a wonderful thing? Let's say it aloud together. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That's, that's all you need for a miracle to happen, for God to do something that man and, and woman could never do. All we need is to hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. This is describing God. God, his Holy Spirit laid on the hearts of Jews all over the world a desire to come back to Israel, a desire to move there. It's still happening today. <clears throat> Thousands and thousands of Jews from around the world are selling their homes, packing their stuff, and moving to Israel. They've never been there before. God's still doing it today. Verse 8. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. If you hadn't had a country for 1,800 years, and then some mad, evil, wicked man was slaughtering you by the millions mm -hmm. in death camps. Wouldn't your hope be crushed? Wouldn't you think it was all over? Wouldn't you think Israel will never, ever happen again? God has turned his back on us completely. <laughs> our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Verse 12. God heard these cries. God said, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. 
you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The six million Jews' deaths happened in the mid-40s, early and mid-40s during World War II. Mid-1940s. When did Israel become a nation again? At their worst possible, most hopeless, desperate time. Out of that, God gave them their nation back and brought them back. And God prophesied it to his people. This is 2,700 years ago. That's a little bit ahead of time, amen? Verse 21. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around, and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. See, for a long time they were split, split nations, right? After Solomon's son, Rehoboam, blew the place up, Ten tribes broke away from Jerusalem and went, went and made their own northern kingdom. They were split for hundreds of years. God says, no, not when I bring you back. You're going to be one nation. Verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one, say with me, one king shall be king over them all. Now, no, no prophecy. Has, does Israel have kings now? They do not. They're a democratic whatever. They, they have elections like we do. They do not have kings. Oh, God must, the prophet must have got it wrong. Ezekiel didn't see this clearly. God got it wrong. Did he? What just happened here in the prophecy? We've gone from when God brings them back and gives them a nation again to the future, what God will do with Israel, because there will be a king in Israel. Amen? What kind of king? King of kings. And a special one here. One king shall be king over them all. They shall, no, they shall be no longer two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. My servant, say this with me. My, my servant, servant David, David shall, shall be, be king, king over them. Huh? That means at least this. And at least it means that a descendant of David literally will eventually rule and reign over the nation of Israel. Which particular David? I think it could be the actual David. Talking millennium. You know, we're talking all kinds of stuff here. I think it could be the actual David. This is pretty clear here. If you take it literally, which we are supposed to do with Scripture, unless God tells us different. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers live. They and their children, their children's children, shall dwell there how long? Forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince. So if he's prince, that means he's king, right? He's king. Jesus. So David, my servant, shall be their prince. How long? So why, why do you 
So you see why I say I think David was actually prince over Israel in Jerusalem through eternity. Isn't that wild to think about? How cool is that, right? You say, how cool is that? How cool is that? David gets to be prince forever. Verse 26, I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will set them in their land and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst. How long? Forevermore. Do they have a sanctuary now in Israel? No, they don't. Are they going to have one? Yeah. How long is it going to last? I don't know. My dwelling place shall be with them. That sounds like revelation. New heaven and new earth. That's exactly what God says. My dwelling place will be with you. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Then the nations, say this, this verse with me, okay? Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. We're going to come back to this no thing down the line. You're saying, wait a minute, Jeff. There's knowing about God. There's knowing about Jesus. And then there's knowing God. Knowing Jesus and the personal relationship of faith and trust and salvation. So just keep that in mind, okay? Now keep going. Chapter 38, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. A little difficult there. Uh, we, we only have Gog used once or twice in the whole rest of the Old Testament, and it doesn't really fit or apply to this that's used here. Uh, our, our best, best, and I think it's probably spot on, best guess um, is that Gog is the, the ruler himself. Gog is the ruler of Magog. But when you, we do know about Magog, and we do know about Meshach and Tubal, and we do know where those places are. And in modern-day maps, when you put those together, on modern-day maps, we're talking about Russia, Turkey, and Iran. I read this passage in this, this sermon today because we're looking at prophecies that speak to our world situation right now, okay? In the history of the human race on this planet, Russia, Turkey, and Iran have never been friends. Never. And so when prophetic types looked at this and said, well, God says that someday Russia and Turkey and Iran will be cooperating. They're going to come against Israel, and their leader is going to, you know, God calls him Gog, and God, God's going to deal with them. And world historians have always said, that is ridiculous. These countries hate each other. They've never ever wanted to be friends. They've never cooperated. They've never had alliances. This cannot ever happen. Ah. Who's sitting down and having coffee and crumpets together and cooperating militarily together and doing all kinds of new things together? Russia, Turkey, and Iran. I can tell you two things about Turkey and Iran. Their leadership hates Israel. Openly, it's in their mission statement to destroy Israel. Russia's a little sneakier about it. They don't put it out there so much on paper and trumpet it. 
So Russia's really interested in the oil and the natural gas that Israel's got underneath there. So don't doesn't take much to figure out they're going to be on board. Russia's already in Syria. Russia's already starting to make uh, noises, angry noises at Israel. Folks, we're seeing scripture coming true right here prophetically. Speaks to the end times. Why? Because at the end of the seven years of tribulation, it's all about to be wrapped up. Gog and these, these three nations, among others, are going to come against Israel. And God's going to wipe them out and usher in the new heaven and new earth. So, so them coming together now in new relationships tells us that we're another step closer to things being in place. For the end, I don't want to just say the end, the end of the stuff we're messing up, that's going to come to an end. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Uh, we should almost say it's evidence that the new is getting closer to happening. Like I talked with the kiddos, way more than just dogs and cats getting along. Amen? Coming, folks. Drop down to verse 14. Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy and say to God, which, which probably refers to the Antichrist, but I don't want to get too far with that, right? Probably refers to the Antichrist. Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? Where are they going to be dwelling securely at the end? They're going to have this treaty with the Antichrist for the, for the seven years. And the treaty makes everything smooth and wonderful for Israel. They can even do sacrifices in the Temple Mount for the first three and a half years. They're going to think all is hunky-dory time in Israel. It says, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north. You and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host of mighty armies. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the the what days? The latter days. I will bring you against my land. Who's, who's in charge here? Is God um, sneaking up on God going to pull a fast one on Jerusalem? Who is sending them against Israel? God is. You say, why in the world would God send vast uh, multitude of armies against Jerusalem? Why would he do such a thing? I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me. That the nations may know me when through you, O God, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. What did God do with Pharaoh? Why did God do the whole ten plagues and all that stuff and then the Red Sea crossing? Over and over and over again, God said, I want the Egyptians and I want the whole world to know that I am God, I am Yahweh, and these Egyptian gods are small change. And any other gods you want to come up with, they're small change, they're false. They're dead. They're lifeless. I am the true living God. You want to know true living God. You want to know salvation. you got to know me. So God's going to bring God and all these armies against Jerusalem. For what purpose? To show the whole world, I am God. I'm the real deal. you got to know me. I know it's going to be messy, but I can't wait. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to get up on a mountaintop right now and have all the cameras in the world focused on you and, and you could say, listen to me. God is real. And Jesus is real. And please come to the cross and get to know him now. Please. Wouldn't you love to be able to do that? 
So he brings the armies on purpose against Israel and Jerusalem so the whole world can know to have a chance to say yes. Now are millions going to get wiped out in the wrath of God? Are millions of others going to have the chance to be saved? No. I, I, I can trust God with that. His judgments are true and just. Amen? Amen. Trust him with that. Verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that God shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. That picture of Jesus on the horse, that, that's just a drawing. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. If you look, look if you want to, we're not going to be able to time-wise, but Revelation 11, Revelation 16, speak of earthquakes. It might be this one we're talking about here. On that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground. And all the people who are on the face of the, where? Earth shall quake at my presence. Is it just going to be localized to Israel? The whole world is going to quake at the presence of God in this moment when God comes against Jerusalem and God deals with it. The whole world. And the mountains shall be thrown down, and the cliffs shall fall, and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Which which mountains belong to God? Everyone on the planet, obviously. Yeah. But he loves especially the mountains of Israel. He's talking about it. He's going to bring them to Israel. I will summon a sword against Gog and all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So that he's done this in the Old Testament. God's going to throw a spear on them and they're going to start killing each other. The force is coming against Israel. They're going to start killing each other. Go mad. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him. I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him with torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. For what purpose, God? 23. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself, say it with me, known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, like I said before, there's a knowing. about God, and then there's knowing God. Knowing about God doesn't mean anything. Revelation says over and over and over, God does these things to, to show himself, reveal himself to the people of the earth. And over and over, the book of Revelation says, the people go, oh, we hate your guts. They know about God. They know his power. They know his majesty. His salvation, love his desire for me to be with him forever. I'd much rather know him that way and have him make me know him this way. But today, that's up to you. 
which way are you going to know the Lord? Blowing smoke, Matthew chapter 7. And I've heard this from other people, and, and I, I have said this myself too, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably a common saying. This is one of the most pause and consider and hold your breath passages in the Bible. Matthew 7, 21. It's, it's appropriate for Christ the King Sunday to consider these things like that. Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? What do you get the impression there? They're using his name to do things, but for whose glory? Verse 23, Jesus said, Then will I declare to them, I never, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'm not going to beat up on individuals by name. This just blew me away this week, studying again. I was like, there are so-called prophets in the land today who fit this passage perfectly. They are prophesying every day. You can call them online and they can get money because you call online. But they don't know the Lord. They're prophesying junk. Psalm 22, hundreds of other passages. Prophecy like this, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38. This book is the real deal because it comes from the God who is the real deal. And here's the word today from the God who is the real deal. And one day he's going to wrap this thing up in a bow and he's going to make it perfect forever. The word today from the Lord God Almighty to all the prophets and Jesus himself through the whole scripture is itself, you must know me. I have loved you and sacrificed everything you can imagine. You must know and love me back. Today is the day of salvation. None of us knows if we have tomorrow. the understanding, the knowledge, the knowing in our heart of hearts that we have sinned and that we deserve judgment. And then thank you for compelling us and bringing us to Jesus. 
Bible says that Jesus knew us in suffering. Right as they're willing to do that, he's the only one I know. I, I love getting to know you better. You're gracious, you're merciful, you're slow to anger, you forgive sin and wickedness and rebellion. I, I love getting to know you more. I love getting to know your holiness and your righteousness, even though sometimes that scares me. And you bring me back to the cross and Holy Spirit to share good news with others. Jesus, we do really long to hear the comfort we're asking to see you come in person. We want to know you face to face. We love you, Jesus. In your precious and holy name, all God's people say, Amen. Amen.